You know, it's wonderful to be reminded of that story and, uh, you know, to take you back 2,000 years ago, just to be able to sense kind of what the emotions were of those who were so close to Jesus. You know, I think of the author of the text that Crystal just read, um, the background that Levi or Matthew came from. You know, here is one who uh, the world rejected him, his own people rejected him. And then Jesus just said these words, hey, you, Matthew, come follow me. And it changed his life. But to think what it felt like, to think that the one that you gave up everything for is dead. I mean, they've heard of this crucifixion. They've seen crucifixions. It was horrific the last thing anyone was expecting was that Jesus Christ would rise from the grave. I mean, that was the last thing. I, I, I want you to capture the, the, the emotion of the disappointment, the discouragement. I mean, here you have Mary Magdalene in that story. If you know her story, she was one that had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus himself. I mean, just think, I mean, to her, I mean, he gave her life. And now the hope that she had seemed to be gone. But what I love about Easter, and that is how you and I enter into the story. We're going to talk about that here today. Because I, I firmly believe that the text we're really going to cover, I, I wanted to make sure that the Easter story was read just so that we have some context. But I think the big question for us today is, you know, what is the benefit of that for us today? What, what is the implication? You know, the very first words Crystal read there from Matthew 28 was that on the very first day, on the first day of the week, that so much changed, so much would change because of what had just gone on. You know, basically to summarize what the angel said, he says, why are you seeking the living from among the dead? And I think how many of you need that same question directed to you? Why are you seeking living things from dead spaces? And so today... I want to ask you a question. It's a very common question, but it's a question sometimes we don't really think about too much. And the question is this, who are you? You don't want to ask that question, and who are you? Say something about yourself. We have all kinds of responses to that. Well, I am a student, I am single, or I am a... Uh, uh, I'm married, or, or I, I, I love this kind of, I, I love to run. You know, I know this weekend we have somebody who's in Boston who's running and preparing for the marathon there, and it's just like, you know, we could identify ourselves with just categories that we can even place ourselves into. But the question is, who are you? I know the world likes to put us in different categories so that we, uh, you know, function from that. But how we answer that question really determines how we act, the activities that we find ourselves in. But I think a more important question, even than who are you, is this one. Who does God say you are? 
Because I think fundamentally that's what the resurrection, it, it changes everything for us. And so here's what I want to do here today. I want to unpack the good news that the Apostle Paul um, writes to a church in Ephesus. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. For those of you who are new with us, we are in this journey in the book of Ephesians. And it's a journey on how to thrive in the midst of chaos. Not just survive in the midst of chaos, but actually thrive in the midst of chaos. And I think it's going to be an important takeaway today as we are encouraged how we can thrive. Because what the Apostle Paul does here in his letter to the Ephesian church is that he writes this letter to this church. And the first half of the letter is all about what Christ has done. Has nothing to do with your activity. Has nothing to do with anything that you have earned or that you have achieved. In fact, last week, we were reminded of such a very popular text. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the work of God so that no man will boast. That salvation is the work of God. And so before he gets to the second half of this letter of here is what God calls and expects of you, he gets back to the, the doctrinal issues. Those really foundational issues that so many of us tend to ignore because we get caught up in cultural norms. But here in Ephesians chapter 2, he's going to be getting to the subject matter of identity. And I want us to talk through the text here. Um, for those of you who don't have a Bible, it's on page 1160 in the Bible under the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to have that Bible as a gift from this church family. But I want you to follow along with me. Where the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, that's a pretty bleak statement. In fact, this text you will not see preached much on Easter Sunday. You know, it's normally last week's text that you get on Easter Sunday. But I think it's so important for we, the Church of Jesus Christ, to be reminded of our identity because of what God has done. And in fact, what we see here is that there is great news for us today here in this text. The great news is this. We were outsiders, but are now insiders. Let me explain that. Um, to the Jew, to the Jew, there were two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. Now, that term Gentiles was not really a... A, 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 a term of endearment, let's just say. It's just like, uh, you, guys, you guys are Gentiles. We're Jews, though. We are God's special people. 
And I think many times that's what our identities that we get caught up in, we can start uh, leveraging our identity as more superior than another group or another identity. And really what the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to this church, is doing is he's reminding all of these in what would be the territory of modern-day Turkey. So that is outside the land of promise. So now you have these who are living in that territory that are entitled Gentiles. These were those outside of the faith. In fact, if you were a kid and you were playing on the street um, and that, let's just say a Jew was playing with a Gentile on the street, the Gentile would say something like, hey, are we in your holy scriptures? To which the response would be, absolutely you're in our holy scriptures. Well, well, tell us where. Oh yeah, well, did you know the story of David and Goliath? Yes, I've heard that story. Well, yes, we the Jews are David, and you are like Goliath. Okay? You, 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 you um, are struck down. Or, or uh, have you heard of the Egyptians? Yes, the Egyptians enslaved our people for a number of years. Yeah, you remember those Egyptians? Yes. Yeah, those were Gentiles. And the list would go on and on and on to which you would conclude, oh, so that means all the good guys are Jews and the bad guys are Gentiles. Yes, that's basically what we're saying. <laughs> you see, because we are God's special people. How many of those who are involved in a faith system can communicate that very same deal? Okay, we are Christians, we are Christ followers, but you, and then what happens inadvertently is we build these huge walls between people. And very similar here, just as you were Gentiles. See, the mark of a Jew Again, I'm not going to get graphic here, but that was that of, of circumcision. And, and so as a mark, this was from Abraham where the, where the faith really took root. And, and what God did is he chose a people through Abraham. But if you, any of you know that story, Abraham had two wives. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? It's a bad idea. Uh, yes, very passionately it was said. Um, that's not going to lead to anywhere really, really good. But again, there was the child of promise. And there was one that was a child when Abraham tried to take matters into his own hands. And because of that, throughout these years, there has been a, a tension between Jews and non-Jews. If you go to Israel... I was in Israel back in 2014, and I was amazed at going into Bethlehem that you had to go through a guard gate. The, the bus had to go through. We had to change buses because we were on a Jewish bus. And for you to go into Palestinian territory, you had to get in a different bus. And I was like, man, was that bus circumcised or what? I, I, I mean, 
how would they know this is a Jewish bus? But, I mean, we had to get off. And I go, you got to be kidding me. We were going through what felt like a fortress. It was guarded. So no suicide bombers could go either direction. It was a us, them. So you need to know that if you're a Gentile growing up in this time that this letter was written, it was like, that is tough news for you. The Jews are God's people. But God never intended his people to have this sense of, look at us, look how good we are. See, God had used them to be a light to the nations. But they were not using that. I mean, notice it says that you Gentiles, you were not of the commonwealth of Israel. You're strangers to the covenants of promise. See, there were covenants that God made promises to the nation of Israel. One of those promises that Messiah was going to come through your ethnicity. Man, that's good news. He's coming through your ethnicity. And also that the Messiah would come through the household and lineage of King David. But it says, now that Gentiles were outside of this, that they have no hope and they're without God in the world. Sounds like a hopeless place. In fact, sociologists in studying this first century that Paul was writing to said that this first century, that the idolatry and the pressures of Rome had so demoralized a people that anxiety was up, suicide was up, the amazing rates of suicide in this time because of hopelessness. And then Paul writes these words. He says, okay, Gentiles, it's not all bad news because look at the very first word in verse 13. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near how? By the blood of Jesus. That's what we celebrated on Good Friday. That we celebrated the blood of Jesus Christ and that it was his blood, his sacrifice. The one in whom John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold that lamb. See, because of Christ, we have the statement in Christ Jesus. A statement that was referred to roughly about 216 times in the New Testament scriptures. In Christ Jesus, it was, a, it was an idea that was a brand new idea. But in Christ Jesus, that Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead... Yes, he appears to his disciples. And then after a period of time of appearing with his disciples and those who followed him, those who had demonstrated faith, he then, he ascends to heaven. And where is Jesus Christ today? He's not on a cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of authority. And do you know what he's doing right now? He's not, he's not just sitting there on a throne. God's word says he is interceding on behalf of the saints. See, the news will get better and better. But see, we were outsiders, but now we are insiders. Let's continue reading. 
Verse 14, it says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Was there hostility between Jew and Gentile? Yes, there was great hostility. But it says Jesus broke down that wall. I love the imagery here. In fact, figuratively, if you went to the Jewish temple, there were a variety of courts around the sanctuary of the temple. In the Herodian temple, there was a platform, and there was the sanctuary, the sanctuary, the place of of worship, but right outside that sanctuary was the court of the priests, and only the priests could go and, and be a part of that particular, in that section on the temple. But then around that, it was the court of Israel. It was for those Jewish men. It was an area just for Jewish men. And then outside of that, it was an area for Jewish women. And so you had these dividing walls. You need to know that. But then you would take some steps down, and then you would be in another place. And it was no accident that you took steps down, because again, that's how the Jews viewed the Gentiles. And so you would take a step down into the outer court, and that was the court of the Gentiles. So if you're a Gentile and you wanted to get to God, it's just like, that's a long way off. And I'm not invited there. But because of Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility has been abolished. In verse 15, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. See, that word for peace is when there's two conflicting parties who are at war with one another. This Greek word for peace is the kind of peace that is bringing those together and now living together as one. No longer competitors, but now companions. Leading to this uh, second piece of great news for us, that we were separated, but now we're integrated into the uh, inheritance that was there um, uh, unto uh, the time of Jesus, that inheritance seemed to be reserved only for the Jews. But it says this, that when God made one new man in place of the two, that terminology would be the equivalent of, let's just say you had a, a Ford Escort. Like in driving your Ford Escort. But you wanted a new car. See, this Greek word for new would not be you driving and going and purchasing a new upgraded Ford Escort. It would be you going to something totally different. An F-150. All right? So I'm, I'm tired. I'm, it's time for a, a real vehicle here. See, it's not new of the same kind. It's new and, but very, very different. See, it says that through what Jesus Christ has done, that he has now taken this separation and now he's brought integration. In fact, Jesus 
refers to this in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about imagery of he being the good shepherd and that a good shepherd has a flock of sheep and this good shepherd will give his life for the sheep, making sure he does not lose one. But then he says this in John chapter 10, verse 16. He says this. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. See, Jesus said this before Easter Sunday morning. He's like, I I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay the price to bring Jew and Gentile one so that what I promised back to Abraham in, in the book of Genesis, he says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. I remember in 1984, I was in college. I know I aged myself there. But while in college, um, in December of that year, I had the opportunity for the very first time in my life to go to a conference in which there was like ethnicities from all over the world. It was called Urbana. It was a missions conference, about 18,000 college students from literally all around the world. We got to stay in dormitories in the University of Illinois. And it was so wonderful because for the very first time, I was dorm mates with somebody from Africa, from somebody from Iran. I mean, it was so great. And we got to hear from amazing speakers like Billy Graham, Luis Palau, Elizabeth Elliot. I mean, these were like giants in the faith. And I remember it like it was yesterday. But there was a moment where I truly felt like I was in heaven. And it's like when we all stood up, 18 plus thousand of us all stood up and we sung a hymn, probably one of the most famous hymns ever written. You don't have to be a Christ follower or a churchgoer to know this hymn. Do you know which hymn I'm referring? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. What was so great about that hymn is that you saw all these ethnicities from around the world singing in their native tongue. Oh, it was glorious. In fact, in the book of Revelation, I I, I found this here this week. In the book of Revelation, it says this in Revelation 4. It says, in heaven they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It says, from every tribe, every nation. And so I got a glimpse of heaven there at Urbana. It was glorious. And then I did the research of the author of Amazing Grace. His name was John Newton. He lived in the 1700s. And John Newton had a very, very difficult childhood. In fact, he was racist and he was so prejudiced 
that he found himself captaining slave ships from West Africa to the Americas. He was involved in that. But you know, there was a book he was reading on a ship. It was a, 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 a book written by Thomas Akempis. And the book was The Imitation of Christ. And as he was reading this book, his heart was pricked to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But because he became a follower of Jesus Christ, he didn't just overnight understand the waywardness of his ways. What he did is he began reading God's word. He began being a student of the authority of God's word. And in reading God's word, he understood that what he was doing was horrific. According to God's word, that every single human being is created in the image of Almighty God. And that every single person as his creation is to mirror the, the beauty and the, the majesty of his glorious name. And that every ethnicity has the opportunity to reflect a different beauty of the prism that is our creator God. And he not only stopped what he was doing, but he campaigned to enslavery. And he influenced uh, William Wilberforce. I'll tell you one guy. Now, did you know that about the author of Amazing Grace? See, some people say, well, that's so offensive. But I tell you, it's transformative of what the Holy Spirit of God can do in a life this is why we as a church do not shy away from teaching the authority of the word of God. Why? Because I can't change a human heart. No deliverer of the message of Jesus Christ can change a human heart. Only the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God uses the word of God. And as we are saying, uses the people of God. Because here's the good news for us former Gentiles, right? <laughs> We were outsiders, but now insiders. We're separated, but now we are integrated. We see the beauty of the mosaic of our creator represented in this new creation, in this one new people, in this one new people. You see, Jesus Christ, he reconciled us both to God through the cross Killing the hostility. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid that for us. Folks, that's the good news of Easter. That Jesus Christ, he paid the price for our sin. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And now verse 18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that good news? He said, this inheritance is not just reserved for a people that God chose to demonstrate his beauty through. No, that God used his people, the Jews, as a conduit so that we could come to faith in Jesus Christ and that there be no separation, but there be unification under the authority of the headship of Christ. See, we were once foreigners, but now we are family. 
We were aliens and strangers to God, but now we are friends with God. Isn't that good news, folks? That's what the resurrected Christ has done for us, that we are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, those who Jesus Christ himself in the flesh invested in and taught life to. But then also a foundation built on the prophets, that Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone he himself is the cornerstone, the cornerstone, the, the most important stone of the foundational structure. Everything is set to that foundation of the cornerstone. Now, if you go to Israel today, you can go down where they excavated and see the original cornerstone, the foundation of the temple. That was the, these stones as large as railway cars. I, I can't fathom how those could be constructed and those could even be moved. But that's the cornerstone. And look what God is building. He's building through his church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He's saying this about the church of Jesus Christ, that this new creation that was birthed by the work of Jesus Christ, this new creation now called the church, is God using all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds, all different gifts, all different capacities, all different stories. And he puts it together in an incredibly beautiful mosaic. Here at Grace Spring, we have so many different backgrounds, so many different experiences. We have rich, poor, black, white. We have those who come from Catholic backgrounds, those who come from unchurched backgrounds, those who come from Reformed backgrounds, those who come from Church of Christ backgrounds. We have this beautiful mosaic and that God himself gave his life so that we could do what, church? We could demonstrate and reflect and mirror the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and where? Into his glorious light. See, look around, look to your left, look to your right, look at this incredible tapestry that God has given. I had to take a picture during our time of praise and worship. Uh, if you saw a little reflection of a phone kind of like out of the curtain taking a picture of y'all and me posting because what I was hearing was just so glorious, the excitement, the energizing aspect of the church coming together and being the church of Jesus Christ and knowing so many different stories and backgrounds. But see, we're no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens, no longer foreigners, but are now a family. And do you know something? According to God's word, I have more in common with an Iranian Christian than I do an American who does not know Jesus. I tell you, it's shocking to think about, but it's true. This is why it's so glorious to travel the world. And when you travel the world and you see all of these walls built up between feuding groups of people, us versus them, the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ is that it's a level playing field for all 
have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, and, and even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In him, you also. I think many times when it comes to our faith, we think it's just a, a relationship between me and God. But that you is in the plural. It says you, church, you who were once separated, you who are now integrated, you who were outsiders, who are now insiders, you who were foreigners, but are now family. You, you are being built up by God as the church of Jesus Christ. And what is amazing about everything I read from Wall Street Journal, New York Times, LA Times, all kinds of media, what we see and read about Americans is that Americans are spiritually hungry, Americans are spiritually seeking, but also that there is an exodus from the church of Jesus Christ that has is, is happened, especially here in the last two years, that people who were leaving the church are really now leaving the church. But Jesus Christ says this about his church, his creation, everything we've talked about today. <laughs> He says this, that the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. That's what I love about Easter. I think that's why we celebrate when it comes to Easter. Why is that? We celebrate because Jesus Christ took our biggest foe, death, our greatest fear, death, and he punched death in the throat and brought death down and said, now, now, he says, there is life in me because I have conquered death. And now, look to me when it comes to life. And so many Americans are looking elsewhere for what gives life. And we, the church, get the opportunity to be distinct. And how are we able to be distinct? Well, I want to go back to chapter 1. Because we're reminded in chapter 1 that we were powerless, but are now powerful. How many of you would want to be powerless? How many of you want to be powerful? Okay. How many of you really don't care? All right. Yeah, okay. I'm one that if there's the opportunity for power, I want it. But the way we get power is a little bit unique. The way we get power is through humbly acknowledging that we need a Savior, and that Savior is not us. I think when it comes to areas of sin, I think we try to convince ourselves that we are powerful without Christ. And so we try to manage, and, and we think Jesus is like on a ship throwing out a life preserver out to somebody who looks like they're starting to drown. No, the gospel is this. You were dead. You were underwater. You had already died. And Jesus Christ came, and he has given you life. That's the beauty of Easter Sunday morning. 
That's the beauty when the church comes together. We've got to be reminding ourselves that we have the capacity in Christ Jesus to leverage the resources of God. See, in Ephesians chapter 1, we were reminded in Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That we have access to this church. We have access to this. This is not double A battery stuff. This is nuclear. We have access to that church. And I know all of us can be greatly tempted to leverage it and try to live this life in our own strength, to be the church in our own strength. And I think that's the indictment against the church today. But notice this prayer. When Paul prayed for this church, one of the, the, the third aspect he prayed for is this. That you know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That Jesus Christ is in the place of authority. He's in that place of authority today. That the grave doesn't have a hold on him. He conquered death. He raised. He ascended to heaven. He's in a place of authority right now. And that we as followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, that the church is for believing Jews and believing Gentiles. The two come together as as one to be the church of Jesus Christ, a powerful force that God says the gates of hell will not prevail against. And so we see through the church this fulfilled here in John 3, 16 and 17. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it does not stop there. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. Amen. Amen. Through him. This is why I love that depiction over here on the side that Jesus Christ, that red depicting his blood, but that his image is the image that saves you and I. It's his work that saves you and I. And so, my question for you is, not just who are you, but who does God say you are? I want you to think about that as you watch this video. I would describe myself as somebody who's pretty steady, dependable. Um, I would describe myself as uh, caring, and a good friend, and someone who loves sports and is creative. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, a daughter, I'm a gardener, I'm a child of God. I like to make people laugh, I'm a joker. <laughs> I, I like to make cookies and like to share them with other people. I usually see myself as a calm, kind of introspective person. 
would describe myself as a compassionate, willing to help, um, friendly, outgoing person. My friends would say that I'm a good friend. And my family would say that they love me. Uh, other people describe me as, uh, as a good listener, um, as uh, a good friend, usually pretty chill. Um, I think they'd say that I'm a man who um, tries to be obedient to what God might have for me, um, that I do my best to be generous, and um, always I'm happy to lighten the mood with a joke if necessary. Probably strong-willed, um, passionate, um, caregiver. Nice, funny, sweet, and kind. Kind. <laughs> that I have a good sense of humor and that I am always up for an adventure. In light of the gospel, God sees me as uh, forgiven and clean and a child of God. God thinks I'm beautiful. He sees me as a sinful, broken person who's saved by grace. God would describe me as a new creation, as redeemed and loved and his son. God thinks I'm funny. I think God sees me as a person who cares, and I like to uh, tell people about Jesus when they don't know about him. That he feels I'm a good kid and he loves me. I think God sees me, number one, as his child. I know that for in, in you know, 100% in my heart. I would hope he would see me as a giving and caring person. He sees me as redeemed, as a precious daughter of his. We close here today. Um, how does God see you? You know, there are those that are playing Russian roulette with your life because you know that you know that you know that you've never taken a step of faith towards the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that paid for, uh, that paid the price for your salvation from death to life. Jesus Christ, he's the one who is responsible. He's the one who freely gave his life. Why? So that you would live. And he has called his people the church, the bride of Christ. That as we find ourselves in union with the living God, finding ourselves secure in Christ, we have access to all the riches that are ours in Jesus Christ. That when you find yourself in a dark place, that you find yourself in a hopeless situation, that you have a Savior and a Lord who is in a place of authority and could do something about that. It's not a guarantee that everything in your circumstances are going to change. But what it does assure you that as you come before the presence of Almighty God, that His heart becomes your heart. 
And every one of those that I just saw on the screen has such an incredible story. Every one, different walks of life, amazing stories of transformation. And I know we live in a world where a microwave is not fast enough. Transformation takes time. But it takes time as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God and be in His Word. But not just be in His Word because it's more than just a personal relationship between we and the living God. It's a corporate, collective relationship with we, the church, and the living God together. And so I love that the Apostle Paul in that foundational part of this letter says before you find yourself trying to do any good for God, you must rest secure in your identity in Him. So where are you today? Wherever you might be, I want to pray over you. I'm going to pray for the one who has yet to take that step of faith. And my question for you is what's keeping you? What's keeping you from that? And I pray that you will pray along with me. And if you pray along this prayer with me, I want to encourage you. There's cards here or online. You can be able to, uh, you know, put a thumbs up or, or type in, I want more information. But here on this welcome home card, there's a spot here, third box down, that today I prayed to receive Christ. I'm a new believer. And I tell you, we're going to have a celebration when we collect these cards and be able to be told, hey, I was separated, but now I am integrated in the family of faith. It doesn't make you more lovable by God. It makes you acceptable to him in his sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then I also want to pray over those of you who maybe have been in a place where you've walked away. You've walked away from what is yours in Christ, that you've walked away from the riches, the the presence of Almighty God. You've been in a far-off country, but now it's time to come on home. Oh, may that happen for you today as well. As we continue on next week in our journey, and and really dig deeper into what is the church of Jesus Christ supposed to be all about. We're going to get into that next week. I would invite everyone back or to tune in. But may today be the day where maybe you go from an outsider to an insider. From a foreigner to actually a part of the family of faith with a glorious inheritance. Amen? pray with me. Lord God, I pray. I pray for the one here today, right now at this moment, who is saying, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that no one will take this lightly, but that we will all tarry for this important decision. And that right now, for those of us who are part of the family of faith, that we will pray vigorously for especially that heart right now that is tending to want to go there, but there's all kinds of spiritual battle right now saying, no, 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 don't do it. Lord, we pray against that right now so that there can be newness of life. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. And for those who've been living in a far off place and say, now it's time to come back. Now it's time to be a part of this family that Jesus Christ gave his life so that we can live in. Lord, I pray. I pray for that person as well.
to get integrated and plugged in and part of the family of faith again. Lord, thank you for Easter morning. Thank you for being a God who put death to death so that we might live. We pray these things in your glorious name. Amen.